I had intense fear and panic because we were obviously crashing. Out of my heart came the thought, oh God, help, I'm going to die. From the time that they pronounced me dead was uh, a good 45 minutes. It's determined that I was not breathing for 20 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. About 20 past four in the afternoon, by half past seven, I was dead. Clinically dead, four minutes. And they were crying because I was dead. And I was trying to tell them, no, I'm, I'm not dead, I'm just fine, I'm okay. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I started to feel like I was surrounded by all this warm, loving, beautiful, soothing, loving energy. I'm back with God again. I just felt this almighty release, like, wow. I'm back. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. I'd come back home. It was a very strong feeling that I've come back home. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine, absolute love and peace. There wasn't anything else to be felt. And light is literally emitting from him. And I could feel that that tremendous amount of love was coming through him as well. They were brighter than everybody else. And... I just knew who they were. We are excited to be here on Round Trip Death today because we have a great guest, Lisa Arrington, coming to us from North Carolina. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, and thank you for having me. And I was going to embarrass you by going into your nickname, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and you can volunteer any kind of information you want. Tell us about you. Sure. Um, so again, my name is Lisa Arrington. Uh, in my professional life, I'm an SEO, uh, search engine optimization professional, um, doing that for about two decades. Um, I have a six-year-old daughter. Um, we're, my family is born and raised in the Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina area. And on the side, outside of my professional life, uh, I also have a small twin flame and soulmate grief support group for people who have lost someone that they feel connected to. Um, that's on Facebook. Um, so I've been managing that um, as well as looking into self-publishing a book as well about all of these experiences that we're going to talk about. <laughs> Congratulations. That's a lot. What do you do for fun? For fun. Hmm. Oh, this is kind of the for fun part, I feel like. No, but uh, just getting out into nature, honestly, um, is such a, a break and relief. It's so nice just to go out and connect, uh, even if it's just a small walk, you know, and in between meetings during the day. Yeah. And of course, playing with my daughter. Good. And you have a new puppy. Yes. <laughs> so we're forewarning everybody. If you hear the puppy, that's okay. That's not a sound effect we threw in. That's real live uh, real live everything here. Okay, I think we ought to just jump right into your near-death experience, but I'm going to give people a little teaser. Maybe I should have done this up front. And the teaser word of the day is Groundhog Day. Uh, In a few minutes, everyone will know what that means. Let's go back to 2016. Tell me what's going on in your life and your health that led to your NDE. Yes, so in 2016... Um, I was pregnant with my first and only child. Uh, she was born in August, August 18th. Uh, so, you know, it's a 
pregnancy, normal pregnancy, my water broke. We went to the hospital. Um, and I want to point out in this story, again, I'm in, I'm in the triangle of North Carolina. We have three nationally acclaimed hospitals right here within, you know, a 10 mile distance of one another, pretty much. Um, so I went to, uh, a local hospital here. Um, and things are kind of interesting off, out the gate, uh, with this birth, um, that will lead to the NDE. So we arrived, um, we did a C-section birth. Um, it was successful, you know, baby was born. She was underweight, but otherwise everything was fine. And we get back to the maternity room that they put you in where you can bond with your baby. Um, and I kept telling the nurse something is wrong. And even looking back, talking about this, it's difficult for me to explain what was wrong, but just in your body, you know, something is not quite right. Um, and they said, well, no, you just had a baby, you know, that, that's totally normal. So I said, okay, uh, within 24 hours, uh, my health began to decline. Um, I was swollen all over. I could barely hold my, my newborn who was four pounds, seven ounces. She wasn't even that big. It was uncomfortable to try to hold her. Um, I started to, uh, what is it? It's not dementia, de delirium, I think it is what the medical term for it. Yeah, so like my mental health started to decline because my body inside was having all these issues. Um, my organs began, were shutting down essentially. So is this, a, is this a reaction to medication or some kind of an infection coming on? So there were infections. There were, there's a laundry list of things. You know, I, I had an E. coli infection in my blood. I had deep vein thrombosis. Um, I mean, there's so many different things, but they were all repercussions of an internal bleed in my uterus, which at the time the hospital didn't know. Um, and so uh, on paper, on the reports, um, they said, oh, well, you know, oh, just your liver's going bad. And they just assumed my liver was bad and I needed a transplant and all sorts of craziness. I've, I have never had previous health problems. So it's like, you know, what I mean, liver, what? And my husband at the time, uh, thankfully, he did not accept the answer that, no, she's just going to have to have this liver transplant just and it's a 25% chance if she does get the transplant that she'll live. So say your goodbyes. He has a family member that works in UVA, Charlottesville, University of Virginia, Charlottesville, in the liver transplant unit. She's an OR nurse of all things. And so 24 hours after the birth, um, I started deteriorating. Not long after that, I was intubated. So I was put in a medically induced coma to stop, you know, slow the, the damage. And then I was life flighted out to UVA in Virginia. And that is where I feel like that's really where the NDE experience really starts. Yeah. So you were at a great hospital, but they sent you to one that specializes in the liver issues that you were happening. The hospital, interestingly enough, did not actually authorize it because they were so convinced that it was just my organs shutting down, um, that there was no, you know, no saving me. Uh, but as soon as I arrived at UVA, literally that same morning, um, they saw, they looked at me and they identified the bleed and corrected it. And so the NDE happened in the amount of time it took me from that fix happening, the surgical fix happening to when I woke up. Okay. 
Let's jump right into that. It is very interesting because, again, I was in a medically induced coma. Um, First of all, medically speaking, your brain activity is supposed to be null and void. You're really not like technically, scientifically, we believe that there's no brain activity when you're in a coma. And this is interesting because I had so many different odd dreams and things. And I'm including this in the story because there's a difference between the dreams that you have and this near-death experience. They're two different subjects. Tell us how you know the difference, how you know you weren't just dreaming the whole time. The dreams were more so like when you're, you know, at night, we all dream, right? We know what that feels like. Um, Sometimes they can feel real, but even still, uh, it's it's not quite the same as a near-death experience, which um, was... Let me try to, the best way to explain this, um, you're comprehending things um, not with your mental abilities, you're comprehending things through consciousness. And I think that's why there's a lot of stories of NDEs, you know, dealing with time, either speeding up or slowing down, because we're not using our brain necessarily or our, you know, intuition or our physical body to perceive these things. Um, so with the NDE, I, again, it's really hard to describe, but the, the best answer I have is it's the difference between your mental um, your mental thinking and your cognition versus your consciousness, your actual essence, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it. Th- that's the main difference. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. So you had dreams and an NDE both. Where do you want to start? So I was having these crazy dreams, which a lot of People in in ICU, when they're unconscious, do have. And when it switched over to the NDE, again, I'm pointing out that that's I was transferred to UVA. I actually remember a dream of being in a helicopter and they, you know, somehow magically transported me directly into the ICU ICU room that I was in. Of course, that didn't happen. That was a dream. But then everything changed. It was darkness. Total darkness, not scary darkness, though, just kind of like an empty space. I somehow knew that I was outside of my body, that I was not my, you know, my soul, my essence was not attached to my body at the time. And just kind of like a floaty kind of abyss. And then I saw a light, which some people might describe as like a tunnel kind of light. And I heard a disembodied voice and uh, it said, it basically told me, you can let go. If if you want to let go, no one will blame you. Now is the time. You'll be okay. Your daughter will be cared for. You can go ahead. And for a split second, I considered, I'm like, wow, that, that sounds relaxing. You know, like I no longer have to fight, right? I just can just go. But I had this weird instinct. I'm like, no, wait, no, 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 no. I, I should not do that. I need to be here for my daughter. I have things to do. I, there are things on this earth I need to achieve. And um, at that point, that's when I kind of perceived that disembodied voice to be evil. I don't believe it was evil. I really do think it was honestly just giving me the choice. But again, we're, we're geared for survival. And so we might perceive that as being evil if it's trying to get us to, you know, end our lives. And so I, uh, again, this is all happening in consciousness in this out-of-body experience. In addition to the light, are you seeing anything else? 
Uh, not specifically, no. It was really just darkness and then just the light at this point in time. And then once I made that decision to say, oh, no, I want, I would like to live. And I, it, it's strange because I want to say, you know, I, I bolted as far away as I could from that light. But again, this is happening like in a realm where there's no sense of direction even. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> but after that point, after I made that conscious choice to live, that's when uh, we went into the next part of the NDE. Okay. Is this where the Groundhog Day part comes in? Almost. Almost. <laughs> so the, the next stage in it, there was three stages, really. Uh, the first was that disembodied, you know, make your choice kind of thing, which, again, just for the sake of realness here, for years, I called it the death track. Uh, it was terrifying. Like once I woke up and I looked back on it and I realized that's very scary to be told, go ahead and die. Like, you know, you feel like you're being manipulated or lulled into making a decision to die. Yeah. I find that interesting that your feeling on that is that that was a negative thing, maybe even an evil thing. Some other people and, and everybody's experience is completely different. There's no right or wrong here, but some other people feel like, Hey, that was such a good place. And I, w I really wanted to stay because it was so wonderful and it's interesting that your feeling on that's a little bit different. I don't think I was quite there yet, though. I, I That wasn't, you know, that realm that people reach. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, this was more like, uh, I guess, for people who believe in spirit guides, I the best way to describe it, it would be my, my guide uh, was, you know, touching base with me saying, hey, if you want to, you know, opt out, now's your now's your chance. You can go ahead. Um, and I said, no, I I things to do and so the next part was that realm that we're talking about now that, that okay with your um i call them spirit guides your soul family your the people the souls their energy that we're connected to in our lives and unfortunately i don't remember much about that during the nde i have been able to get back there in meditation after which I, again i it's fascinating and i truly credit it. I, I don't believe that I'd be able to achieve that if I hadn't first experienced it in the NDE. So it kind of was like this, open this window, so to speak, so that later in life, I can always come back. I can always be connected to that feeling and, and that great supporting network of beings or energy or, you know, spirit souls um, who have my back and who I have theirs. Well, and it's also not unusual for these memories to come back gradually. Yes. You know, whether it's through meditation or some, for some people, they just all of a sudden come back or something. So tell us a little bit about what you do remember. So the next thing I know, once I made my decision, I, again, the goal is to get back into my body because I want to live. And so I started my journey to my body. I distinctly remember the feeling of my energy or my soul entering into my physical being. However, uh, it was not mine, if that makes any sense. It was a body that looked like mine. It was, and I uh, woke up actually August 27th, looked around, you know, I saw my husband and my family, uh, the ICU nurses, but it did not feel quite right. Again, just waking up out of a medically induced coma, I wasn't able to stay awake that long. You know, I very quickly fell back asleep. But when I woke up 
the next time, um, I found myself in the same position with different circumstances, different, uh, you know, people would have a, a slightly different demeanor um, or the events of the day would go slightly differently. And again, each time I, I felt, I remember the feeling of having to re-enter a body every time. So did you feel like it was different because maybe this was an hour or two later, or it was different in that you were you were re-entering, re-waking up for the first time, but things were different anyway. Explain that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I think um, it, it, and it took, you know, a, a few times because, again, we have to keep in mind there were dreams involved in this at the beginning from all the heavy coma medications and everything. So I wasn't sure, you know, my, what is this? I'm like, you know, it took me a minute to really understand and say, wait a second, I am waking up in this on the same day over and over again and once i realized that uh, and again this is very interesting because it it wasn't fully mental cognition it's still kind of you know it's still a halfway kind of out of body experience to where um, i'm still kind of thinking it from that level of consciousness and so there was a level of security there to where i knew and somehow understood that this is okay i'm safe um, i feel like that was from seeing my guides uh, it in between, I think they, you know, wanted to reassure me and say, you know, you got this, you, you know, yeah. And so, yeah, so I would wake up again. And when you wake up in ICU, they ask you three questions. Um, where are you at? Who is the president? And what day is it? And I would get two out of three right. I'd always get the date wrong. Um, because in my experience, it was August 27th. And they would say, no, it's the 26th or 20th. It was just very strange. It was always just something slightly off like that. Um, or for instance, here's a good one. So um, my aunt and uncle, my aunt is a nurse. My uncle is a general physician in uh, Pennsylvania, out of state for me. My aunt came down while I was still unconscious. She came down on the day I woke up. And I personally did not know she was there, right? I had no way to know that she was actually there. Um, I was still in my coma. And when I woke up in one of these iterations, um, in part of the near-death experience still, um, my aunt, who is usually very level-headed, very intelligent, um, she's Catholic, so that's, you know, part of who she is, but she was very bossy. She was telling, she was interacting with the ICU nurses as if she knew better Right. And she's she asked all these medical questions and it just was not like her. Um, and so it really felt like when I would land into these iterations, kind of like it, it was things were alien. Right. And it's such a strange feeling to look around you and see your friends and family who, you know, and love. But there's something not just not quite right. And you know that they're not quite your friends and family, whether that's a timeline, reality alternative universe, however you want to call it. it. Just, again, not not quite right. And that gave me the drive, though, to keep going. So how many of these, as you call it, iterations, how many of these were there? Uh, there were six that I can clearly remember. Um, there were at least 12 that I remember starting, but, you know, I couldn't tell you many details about them. So this this happened a lot. I mean, it was Groundhog Day on repeat, and it, it did get scary at a time. It finally, you know, after however many times, I felt 
like I was stuck in a loop. And I even started thinking, because every time I would wake up, my husband would uh, look at me and say, hey, beautiful. Like he was doing something else in the room. He'd notice I was, aw- I would, was awake and say, hey, beautiful. Um, and I began to memorize what they would say, uh, you know, my husband and my father. And I was like, maybe I can tell them something. Maybe somehow I can let them know that, man, I keep experiencing this over and over. And I, I did try that. I, I tried to, I remember one time I woke up and I said, wait, I'm stuck in a loop. You know, something's going on. And of course they didn't understand. I, you know, had to really realize, wait, I'm in this alone, essentially. You know, I have to brave this myself and, and get back to, you know, the right configuration of uh, where I need to be. Yeah. And even talking about it right now in this moment, I, I have just realized how how much this was such a needed lesson of courage, of trust, of faith, of being comfortable with the unknowns, right? Knowing that we have that soul family, that we have that kind of existence that the needed experiences tell us we have is pretty, pretty trippy is the word I can think of right now. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else that you remember during the NDEs besides the bright light? Is there anything that you felt or heard? I do remember realizing that I was in this kind of empty space, um, what I would call empty space. It was not uncomfortable. It felt um, natural to be there. So it wasn't disturbing. It wasn't startling that I was in this kind of dark area and that I um, had this disembodied voice talking to me and I saw the light and I, you know, you can, you really feel like the the warmth and the, uh, the love and you know, it's there. Um, even if you haven't entered into it, just somehow instinctively, you just know what all of this is. It's like uh, hidden knowledge that's just within us that um, lays latent. I can't really remember much else to be honest uh, at, for that part. Okay. So let's move on. At what point were you fully conscious? How were things then? Did those things feel like they were in your normal reality or you were in one of these alter iterations? Sure. Um, so when I officially woke up, um, again, this would be August 27th, I had woken up and, you know, I was up by that point, a little startled, a little kind of uh, hesitant to be able to trust, right? Because it had gotten to the point where I was terrified to fall back asleep because when I'd fall back asleep, I'd wake right back up um, on that previous day. Um, And sometimes I'd stay up for hours. You know, my body was recovering. That was a big feat to stay up that long. Uh, By the way, how many days was this since you had the baby? uh, I had her on the 18th. Um, I was put into the coma on, I believe it was the 20th. um, And I woke up officially on the 27th. Okay. And um, it did take about 24 hours for me to really come to. So, And did they did they have to do a liver transplant or did they, once they fixed the internal bleeding, did things start to repair? Once they fixed it, I went uphill from there. Thankfully, I did not need any transplant. I needed no other, you know, intervention other than that surgery to fix the uterine bleed. Again, had a C-section. So that's totally understandable that that is, you know, might happen. My healing time was supposed to be um, at least six months and an in, inpatient intensive um, mobile rehabilitation facility. Uh, that was not the case. And I, I guess we'll get to that in a moment. But 
keeping with the chronological order, um, when I woke up in this reality, in the cur- you know, the correct one, the one I need to be in here, I still, it was difficult to trust what was going on. I still was hesitant. Um, and so I was very scared. I was also scared because I transferred hospitals and because I'd overheard things while unconscious of essentially that I was, was going to die from the medical staff. So I was still very scared. I had to have my husband sit next to me. We, we didn't have a nice ICU room. There was only, you know, just a really crappy chair to sit in. That's it. There was no bed. There was no sofa, no nothing. Um, so he had to stay there with me um, at least 48 hours uh, overnight because I just couldn't trust, you know, I was like, hey, that, you know, something's not right. They're going to get me or, you know, the medical staff. I mean, um, you know, I was trying to survive. But after that, um, no, I definitely could tell I was in reality. I mean, there was no question. And that, that's that's the craziest part about this is that, again, the difference between dream, near-death experience, and reality. It's a very cool story in that respect. You want to explain that? You know, it, it is difficult now that I think about how do I explain this to someone who, if you think of a dream you've had and you swear it's real, you know, you when you wake up from it and you're like, that was real. But if you really look back and think about it, it wasn't real. There's... It's such a subtle difference. It's really hard to explain this. I, I think it really comes down to intuition. It comes down to knowing in yourself, in your soul or spirit, essence, whatever you believe, um, it just feels right. And real. That's what many people tell me is it just feels more real than real even. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just like aligns with what you're configured for. It aligns with like what you know as well. For example, that I had just given birth, I had a daughter and I needed to be her mother. And so when I came to and back into reality, um, I was well aware of that. And, you you know, you always look for um, little things, even if you're trying to like lucid dream, they tell you to always look for subtle things like um, there's little practices you can do actually to kind of look at something and say, okay, well, if it's a dream or if it's not real, then I'll look away. And when I look back, it'll be red. In reality, you can't do that. So there's lots of little checks and balances that you can do for that as well to disseminate. Okay. We're going to move on in just a minute and talk about some of the things that you learned from all of this. But before that, people know I love happy endings. So I want to hear about being reunited with your daughter and how your health proceeded from there. Absolutely. Sure. Um, So, yes. So since I was life flighted to UVA, I was, you know, over, I think like 180 miles away from my newborn daughter who was back in Raleigh in a hospital here uh, in NICU just because she was underweight. Um, so this whole time I've been like, three weeks or so I was away from my daughter. And again, they, they, the surgery they did to fix the bleed brought me back to pretty quick. Um, so by 27th, 28th of August, I was awake. My next goal was to get out of ICU to the general floor, and then I could go home. And so there's this miraculous healing that happened to where, again, the doctor said, three to six months, you know, you're going to, you're not going to be able to basically walk. You're going to have to relearn to walk. And by, I think it was the fourth or fifth day, I was using a walker, like, you know, an elderly person has, um, slowly moving around my room with a lot of help. But nonetheless, I was standing. And just kept making this miraculous progress in my healing. Um, September 11th, 
is when I was uh, able to go home and drove straight down to go see my daughter. Um, I had all these IV uh, bandages on me. I mean, it was to the point where when my kidneys failed, they had to do dialysis through my neck, through two points in my neck. It was that crazy. So I was free of all the machinery and all this stuff. I had lost so much weight from being in that hospital bed and, and you know my body failing. But we got home. We saw our, our daughter. Um, his name is Everly. And uh, today she is six years old and doing so well and just such a blessing. And uh, I won't get too much into it, but I do want to note that through this NDE um, and through other things that have happened since then, you know, spirit or God or whatever you believe in is truly showing how interconnected all of this is. So my daughter is in connect, interconnected um, with a lot of these kind of spiritual things in life. And she's just naturally on it. I mean, just, it's just wild to see. It's very cool. Just very perceptive, huh? Okay. Let's talk about other things in general in your life that have changed mm-hmm. because these things change you. Yeah. Okay, how are you different than you were before? Oh man, that's a good question. Hmm. So this might be interesting. Um, so when I uh healed and you know woke up and healed from the near-death experience, before that I was really into politics. I was pretty passionate about it. Um, you know, the sense of reason and logic and all the little moving pieces and all that stuff. Um, and I had been all my life. But after the near-death experience, um, I would turn on the talk radio and just have this feeling in myself like it was like um, kind of like the polarization had changed. Like, you know, you try to put two magnets with the same polarization together or they're, they're going to repel. They're going to bounce back off each other. You have to have the right combination and then they stick. Um, that's how I was feeling when I heard all this uh, on the radio. Um, And what I was responding to, I think, was the sense of aggression, the sense of, um, I don't know, just very topical, surface level nitpicking back and forth, which after you go through experience like this, it's like, man, there's so much more than that. You guys, you know, like we don't need to be down in the weeds, like going back and forth about that. And so one of the big things that changed was my tolerance for uh, aggression, surface level stuff. And kind of seeing things from that different perspective, as well as knowing that we are always connected to the beings, the people, the things that we experience in these NDEs. We are constantly connected to that side or that realm of our universe. And these NDE stories, all they really do is help help us to make sense of that and believe it, right? Because it's hard to believe something unless you've experienced it yourself. Um, but I feel like that's one of the most powerful things about all these stories is that it's not just one person, you know, it's multiple people. Um, and as well as some of the psychedelic experiences, which I won't get into either, but it's very fascinating when you hear these, this overlap with these experiences that, that people have um, like mine as well. What do you mean by that? The overlap in my story. And even though I, I couldn't, I can't quite remember the in the moment meeting my spirit guides, my soul family. I know that I did. Um, and afterwards, you know, again, like I said, in meditation, I was able to actually access that realm, which is mind blowing because 
some people say they are, you know, they'll pay hundreds of dollars per hour uh, to be guided in meditation to do this. And here I was in my living room. Uh, I've never meditated before and just did it. Um, it's a very comforting, comforting feeling. But then you have other people in NDEs who have also been in this blissful realm. They feel that unconditional love. Uh, it just feels right that, you know, there's greater purpose. There, there's like this invisible path in life um, that is being illuminated by these encounters. And even in experiences like I think it's DMT where uh, people say they report that um, they will they will actually see figures like this. Figures that will tell them, like our spirit guides or soul family, that tell them either, hey, you know, you're doing great or, or hey, or, you know, no, this isn't cool. And they guide us. And I, think, I just think that's so beautiful that no matter how you look at it, NDE, psychedelic experience, spiritually transformative experience, it's all about that we're all here guiding one another and supporting one another. So what else came back to you through your meditation that you felt like you remembered from it? A lot, a lot of the little pieces started to make sense of it because this took a while for me to put together um, and it's still not quite put together uh, because at the time, 2016, this is when the Mandela effect was popular. Um, you know, the, is it Bernstein bears or is it Berenstain bears? The, that type of thing people are, you know, or did, was the Volkswagen logo? Did it always have the separate VW or, you know, little things like that. Um, and that's exactly what this experience felt like. It felt like it was just those little tiny things that were different when I would wake up. So, oh, I probably should add that I did do therapy. I did do um, EMDR or E, I always forget it. I think it's EMDR therapy, um, which has to do with like tapping um, to stimulate the of your brain. Um, so I did that for medical trauma. Right. Um, just because the whole experience of the actual hospital and, you know, dying was. Yeah, that was traumatic. So I did that, but um, that didn't really unlock anything. It really through the meditation, it's unlocked so much. Um, and I don't know how much is remembrance, but I can tell you that I've learned about the relationships with some of the, you know, disembodied voices or the beings that I met um, kind of learned who I am to them, who they are to me, why they even appeared to me, which for the most part is that, you know, they they are essentially just other people, other souls that throughout time we have <laughs> formed this bond. Again, I'm trying not to get in a rabbit hole here, but uh, we support each other, you know, through life and whatnot. And um, I've even gone as far as to remember past lives Um Again, all from the seed point of that near-death experience. I mean, they continue to help with, like I'm flipping through my notes right now, even little things like helping with posture, right? Like I had severe lower back and GI issues, and it was an issue with um, my spinal nerve and fixed my posture. Just crazy things like that, little things like that. Yeah, and I think another big thing, again, is my daughter and uh, the role she plays in my life and it's important for me to understand that as a parent so that I can raise her in the best way to achieve whatever she needs to. Because when I came back to this earth from that NDE, I had a purpose. And that's all I knew was I have a purpose. There's a reason I need to do this. Um, it reinstilled this dedication as well as the sense of love. Did you know what the purpose was immediately? 
not immediately. I mean, immediately, the only immediate thing that I knew was that I need to raise my daughter. But I mean, that's a basic thing. But yeah. it's also to be fair, you know, technically, you know, I had my my husband at the time. I had, um, you know, uh, both families on both sides uh, were there, would be able to help and raise her. So um, it wasn't just uh, a motherly instinct, you know, I mean, she would have been taken care of. And in my NDE, I was literally told she would be taken care of and be fine. Um, So it really came down to a personal choice and understanding the impact that I, I personally would have on her or maybe something, you know, in my life that I needed to finish, which goes into my twin flame story. I'm not going to get into that today because totally off topic, but um, it's again, it just, I cannot help but sit back in awe at how connected all of these events and pieces are. And even hearing other people's stories, just, it's so wild. Just, you can't help but see just the natural embeddings and meanings and things. Yeah. So many experiencers talk about the connection, how we're all connected. Uh, nobody's been able to explain it to me very well. Do you think yeah. you can explain it better than <laughs> than I'll most? Try. Okay, give it a shot. I will totally try. Okay, so our connection points. So there's two ways to look at this. Uh, the first is is physical connection, right? So um, when we think of the physical body and how we communicate, if you communicate with someone, you're connecting with them, right? Um, you can do that verbally. You can do it with body language. You can even sometimes even emotionally, right? If uh, someone walks into a room and, you know, there's lots of tension, they can just sense it. But uh, some people believe we have other layers, the astral, the etheric, uh, etheric, I probably messed that up. Um, but there's these other layers that are not um, physical, so to speak, but we still communicate at these levels. For instance, astral uh, deals with dreaming. Um, even in the Bible, Jesus Christ talks about um, looking at the content of the person's heart. That is fascinating because the heart actually has an electromagnetic field that radiates from it. So if you don't believe in Jesus, the one thing that we do know is there's that energy field. And so we're connected on these other levels. It's not just, just because I don't think I'm connected, like my brain, if I say, well, I don't like you, I'm not connected to you. No, Um, that's, you know, we're not talking about that kind of connection. We're talking about, again, physical example, you walk into the room with someone, you are within that sphere of their um, biofield that they're putting out and your biofields overlapping. Uh, Again, this is just a very quick, simple example of that type of connection. Long story short, there are different ways that we connect with people and it depends on which perspective you're taking as to how we define that. The the other one, um, I'll try to be quick with this and not nerd out because it has to do with AI and SEO. AI, artificial intelligence, uses natural language processing, deep relevance models. It essentially looks like a big word map kind of um, as to how it derives meaning. It uses uh, relationships and associations to better understand a topic. You can't just give AI a definition and say, here's what color red means. You have to actually tell it, you know, it has to be able, just like our brain, we can see a fire hydrant. We know, oh, even if the fire hydrant is in black and white, we know it's red, right? That's an association. Um, so it creates this kind of network. It also uses things called embeddings, 
So embeddings, again, are just things that help it to create that deeper understanding and points of connection, um, associations, relationships. That, I feel, is the exact same way that we are connected as people, as souls, as uh, essence, spirit, whatever you would like to call it. And not even in this physical form, we're connected on these different levels in that way. And it's the relationships we build over time. Even meeting you today, we we now have this, you know, dotted line connection, right? And who knows, maybe we've been connected before in a different way. Um, And I'm sure if we really wanted to geek out, we could analyze our LinkedIn profiles and find other points, you know, of mutual connections that eventually overlap. In that way, I, I really do believe that, yes, we're all connected. It's just whatever way you want to look at it. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you mind a personal question? Sure. Okay. You already agreed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding you. Um, there are, you mentioned uh, your husband and you made it sound like that was past tense. And so many people that have NDEs end up having a divorce not too long after would yeah. you mind telling us a little bit about that and if your NDE had anything to do with it? Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you for the question. So, yes, I was married at the time. It was my first and only marriage so far um, to a good man. His name is Mike. He literally saved my life with his decision to life flight me and to go against the, the doctor's um, prognosis. So Mike had some trauma earlier in his life. He uh, was the oldest of three brothers. His youngest brother, um, unfortunately, committed suicide um, when the his brother was only 19. Okay, so fast forward to now uh, the NDE experience where this man is being told that, okay, you have this newborn daughter. She's in NICU because she's underweight. Uh, your wife's going to die. Have fun, basically, right? I mean, that's terrifying. That's a lot to handle. Um, and he was there every single day. I mean, he stayed with me um, when I was unconscious, when, you know, he had to choose between being with me in Virginia or the baby in North Carolina. Um, He stepped up and he he stayed by my side. I'm so grateful. But, and uh, he remained strong through that experience. But afterwards, I I do believe that it triggered some of that past trauma for him. I mean, that's so hard to go through. I mean, he, he didn't get a break, right? He he went right back to work after that, after being in the hospital for three weeks, being told your wife's going to die after you planned for nine months to have this happy family. Um, And so um, again, I'm, I'm being so open about this because I do believe it's very important for the awareness that there were substance abuse issues involved from that point on to deal with the trauma. And that's ultimately what did deteriorate our marriage. And I don't think an NDE, um, like if you have an NDE, oh, you're going to get divorced. I don't think that's how it works. Um, I, I do think just be prepared to go to therapy, to take walks, to, I don't know, go hiking, take vacations, to hide out in a cave, do whatever you need to. Um, to give yourself time, you have got to process and integrate everything that's happened um, and to to learn how to cope with that trauma because it is, it's such an intense thing to go through for the friends and family members. That's a good explanation. How much fear do you have of death since this happened? I'm not, I'm not saying want to die. I mean, is there fear there? So I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm scared of the process of dying, right? Like I don't want someone to like 
stab me with a sword. That sounds horrible. Um, but of actual death itself, I'm, I'm totally cool with it. Um, because I, I feel like, I mean, you, you can tap into that place of warmth and love and bliss that people get to, um, in an NDE, you can tap into that in real life right now. It is possible. Um, it's like a feeling a frequency. Um, you can just feel it in your whole body. I'm getting it right now. It's awesome. Um, we can always get back to that. So we're always kind of connected to it. Um, so when we pass away, you know, our physical body passes away. There's, there's really no fear, right? We're going to be returned with our, our whole spirit and with our soul family or with whatever's next and take on the next challenge. Hey, I like that. Do you have any other messages today that you want to share with everybody? I guess if, if, I had to say one thing just off the top of my head. It would have to do with the points of connection. It would have to do with um, looking at embeddings and, and thinking about not just processing things in life, but letting them integrate into yourself fully. And that's a whole other thing. Um, but these connections are so important because even if you have not had an NDE or if you've had one and it's like way different from mine, there's still points in the story or I don't know, it could be something as simple as the time of day that you watch this or this day. And it's a special day because of this reason for you. Um, those have meaning and, you know, you don't have to have an NDE to derive that meaning to see these in everyday life. They're all around us all the time. And we are so, so loved. Um, even by living people, right? Like you and me, like, um, and I think that's, that is the biggest message, right? These experiences are shown to us um, to really heighten humanity, uh, to bring it back to, you know, the love, understanding the purpose, fulfillment, reason, things like that. What do people need to do today to fill some of that love and bliss you mentioned a minute ago? Great question. Maybe uh, perhaps not be so quick to uh, react to surface level topical things. You know, our natural state is abundance. Uh, it's like one of the sayings. Another saying I love is emotion is energy in motion. I love that one. So if we're trying to feel that bliss and, um, you know, that love, uh, we we ourselves yourself has got to reach that frequency. That's the best way that you can actually feel these feelings that you can feel the same thing as an ND essentially. I mean, it really does. It feels the same. It's wild. Um, it's all about frequency energy. Um, if you look at people like Dr. David Hawkins, uh, he has something called the map of consciousness. It's a very basic experiment, but it's one of the only ones that we have to date um, where he logs uh, emotions or uh, behaviors with numbers, miracle values, and love is on the high scale. So yeah, the closer we can get to that, because they want to reach us, right? Like from that side, that that love and stuff. Like that's the that's the goal here. Um, so making yourself available to that, um, not getting bogged down in the everyday stuff, not overreacting. There's lots of little things, little health, well-being things for for that. All right. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening and remember to share this podcast. 
To be notified when the next episode goes live, follow us on your podcasting app or click over to roundtripdeath.com and sign up for our email newsletter. One last thing, we are continually trying to improve this podcast and we value your feedback. If you have a comment about what you like or what we can do better, or a near-death experiencer that we should have on the show, send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com, and that's Eric with a C. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music